Hi, I'm Lucas Mack. I'm a former TV reporter, a published author, TEDx speaker, musician, advertising agency owner, and management consultant. I'm also a former Christian preacher who dedicated 15 years of my life searching for truth and love. I've done a lot of work to heal, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I am Lucas Mack, and it's such an honor to have you on. I was going to bring this episode to you yesterday, um, but struggle with a little head cold, but fighting through to get this episode out. It's very important. Um, in this episode, I bring Nathan Kohlerman on, who is who shares his pain from childhood, being abused, being hurt, um, joining the military, and taking all that pain and finally facing it, transforming himself into a healer. And he is a beautiful brother, beautiful soul. And this message will resonate with everyone because one of the premises I've held for a while, if you go back into this podcast uh, episodes back, or maybe, well, if you go back, there's if you look on my YouTube or you look on uh, one of the episodes, I have an episode called Me Too, Us Too, Pain is Pain. The Me Too movement, Us Too, Pain is Pain. And I really believe men are the original perpetrators in, and passers on of pain. So when men heal, I believe the world can heal. And there is this beautiful movement of brothers joining together in emotional intelligence or workshops, um, retreats to get back and to let out in a safe space, all the pain they've been carrying for so long. And Nathan leads some of these groups and he shares his transformation. It's very beautiful. So everyone enjoy this episode, share this episode and let's all heal because the time is now. I'm really excited to have you on and (laughs) everyone uh, joining, you know, Nathan, I've been talking for I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And, and, uh, I've cried <laughs> already and we shared, shared some stuff, but brother, I'm really, I'm really thankful that you're on the podcast. So thanks for coming on. Dude. Thank you. So happy to be here, man. Really excited for this. And ever since that, that first moment, there's just been something. So excited to see what comes out of this. Um, we met cause we got invited to be on a panel, um, representing men to 75 women or so going through a course and and everyone's I think the three questions I don't recall specifically the three questions but it was like you know what is your biggest regret as a man what do you want to say to women and apologize and um, I don't recall the third but you shared your story and in so many ways do you have the three questions what what were what were they what were they yeah the three questions were uh what i appreciate most about women is Mm. the biggest pain when it comes to women is and my biggest apology for all of men to women is Mm. i was that was um that was a powerful moment what what before I even talk about what you shared, I mean, what came up for you when when you heard those questions and just being part of that panel? Yeah, being a part of the panel itself was an honor, truly. Just being more new into the men's space, into the men's workspace, I felt as though I was almost the the small guy in in the big pond. You know, I just stepped into this new arena. And there was a lot of, you know, golden charges or things in which for those who are listening, where a man may look up to another man and, you know, Stefano said something really powerfully where if you put a man on a pedestal, all you can see is his ball sack. Hmm. So really seeing that I was putting, (laughs) 
all these people on pedestals, which didn't really truly allow me to show up as my authentic self. Mm. So being invited into this space with a lot of powerful men really helped me secure my place and knowing that is where I belong. And I was there for a reason. And I'm there because I have stuff to share and I have Mm. my heart to share. I have myself to share and to be invited into that space was an honor and to be a guiding light for women to see what men are truly capable of in this world and how they can show up and the things that actually go on in our heads and in our hearts that a lot of men don't speak of. So when I received these questions, it brought up a lot. It brought up a lot. And I took a minute with that first question and for the first time in a long time, I actually sat back and I really started appreciating what women have brought to my life. Mm. You know, I've always seen women in my life come in and come out and come in and come out. And, you know, I, I, you know, dated women back to back to back to back and I can never keep a woman present Mm. in my life. And just looking at all my experiences in women, whether it be my mother or my sister or any of my previous partners, I found a, a, a greater appreciation for, the wild and divine sides of them, you know, and each one carrying a lesson and each one carrying this, this source of radiance that I, that I can see in each and every person. And it brought up an extreme amount of gratitude. And I started really being able to appreciate the energy that women carry and what women have to provide to this world. And the second question brought up a little bit of pain you know, from, a, from one of my most painful relationships from one of my exes, but still finding that beauty and that grace and that gratitude and compassion for that relationship, rather than being in this victimhood mentality of, well, she hurt me and, mm. you know, this, this, that, and the third, but it also gave me a beautiful opportunity to really take responsibility and ownership in that moment, which I hadn't done for a long time. Mm. And that biggest apology, I've done some work like this before, but it was in a co-ed group back in 2017 and, you know, just sharing the, the biggest apology here, it was, you know, manipulating love for my own selfish agenda Mm. and for not being present or aware of how sacred sex should be or could be. Mm. And that was always my demon was, you know, reaching out for sex as a, as a form of validation to know that I'm good enough or I'm worthy enough or to know that no matter all these bad things that have happened to me or the bad things that I've done, this is a way that someone can accept me. This is a way that I can show up and I can be the best. Mm. And then that's what it was about. It was, can I be better than the man before me? Can I be better than all the other people that she knows in her life? So then therefore she puts me on a pedestal. Mm. Yeah, that's, and then everyone's looking at your balls. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No pun intended there. Right. <laughs> oh man. You know, you also shared, um, and, and this will get into just your background and where you've come from, but you also shared just that pain of, of growing up and even being born. And you are the only other person I've ever heard a birth story connected directly to the, the pain from the father like that. And so do you mind sharing like, you know, that what you shared and, you know, your upbringing and, you know, it's what led you to even this point. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And I think it was about six or seven months ago now that I was talking to my mom and she had shared with me this story that I was completely unaware of, but made complete sense that when she was pregnant with me, my father had pushed her down a flight of stairs and held her at gunpoint. And those were from, you know, the words from her mouth and just sitting in that, I was like, damn, like that really does explain like why I've always felt like I had this energy, like 
I wasn't right where I belong. Like I didn't feel as though I was welcomed into the world or welcomed into groups or welcomed to be a part of a team or a tribe. Mm. And, you know, just growing up, you know, it was, it was <laughs> the only word that can really put anything to relativity here is, is chaos. It was, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but I, I, I take the line from Batman all the time where it says I was born and bred in the chaos. And mm-hmm. that is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was two or three years old, my older brother got sent away for beating me when I was a kid. Mm. And with my father, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of connection there. You know, we had some, some good moments from what I can remember, remember in my, in my younger years, but around the time when I was eight, I remember the first time he had like put his hands on me and I was like, Oh, wow. Like this, this feels normal, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I kind of always wondered why, which links back to that birth story. Mm. And then, you know, I grew up, I never had really any friends. I felt like the weird kid. I, you know, would have like tape on my shirt. I had this weird thing with tape on my fingers mm. and I was made up and I was made fun of for it several times. Mm. But, you know, my mom had medical tape around the house and I would find these rolls of tape. And any time my parents were fighting or any time I felt unsafe, I would start playing with the tape. Hmm. And I would essentially, again, start just going about this to where I, I at some points, I, would, I wouldn't even have like skin on my fingers. Wow. You know, because it was that bad. Yeah. And again, just not having a lot of friends and, you know, my sister being pretty much the one to raise me for, for such a long time. And I say that because my, my parents were always working. Mm. My mom was in night school. She was working during the day. She was going to school to be a family nurse practitioner. My dad was working all day. He was also doing some night classes and stuff, or he was working, you know, graveyard shift at a certain place. So that way we can make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And I never understood it until later on you know, how bad of a, of a gambling problem, you know, my dad had had for a long time Mm. and which eventually led to the house being foreclosed and parents filing bankruptcy, getting a divorce, all these things. And it's interesting that that was actually the cause of the divorce because at around 14, when they, when they had split, I had taken that upon myself. Mm. And I thought that had happened because I couldn't withstand the abuse or the chaos that was placed onto me. Mm. And I took that and I ran with that and I, and I held a lot of anger for a lot of years. I, you know, was in martial arts from the time I was five all the way up until 16. And that was the only source of consistency that I had, mm. but it's ironic how it was directly linked and correlated to fighting. Right. And because that's what I knew what I could do when I was upset or I was angry or sad. And I, and I brought all of my emotions into the dojo and I left them there. Mm. That's how I learned to cope with it. So 14, I started playing football. I started wrestling, but I didn't do these sports for the sport. Like I specifically participated in these contact sports because I wanted to hurt people because I wanted people to know how bad I was hurting, Mm. which didn't make me a good player because I wasn't there for a team or a tribe. I knew at the time my conditioning was that, well, nobody likes me anyways. They're all just going to make fun of me anyways. And they did for certain reasons. And wrestling is where I, I, I fell in love with wrestling because it was just me and the other guy. And I could be better than the other guy. And Mm. if I inflicted as much pain as I possibly could, that's what winning means. That's what being a man means. And that's what I learned growing up for all that time. Mm. And ended up getting kicked out of schools for fighting. Of course. Um, I went to about four different high schools, still graduated on time, surprisingly, but around the age of 16, 
I got involved with, with, you know, a rambunctious group of individuals, I would say what most would call a gang, you know, but it wasn't this, you know, big, you know, Crips, Bloods, all this stuff. It was, you know, this just little band of hoodlums in North Phoenix. And yeah, they wanted me as an enforcer and I gladly obliged. That's what I love to do. And I love to fight and I love to inflict pain just because I couldn't even see how much pain I was really in. So I started going down that path and I started doing drugs, you know, marijuana, cocaine, ecstasy, a lot of ecstasy. I used to sell ecstasy, Mm. a lot of, you know, pills, whether it be, you know, muscle relaxers or Xanax or oxys or Adderall, just anything I could Mm. get my hands on to dull my reality. I put into my body and then it eventually led to heroin. Mm. And that's where, now that I think about it, there's, there's a lot of blocks, there's a lot of gaps, uh, a lot of darkness, and a lot of just uh, memories that I can't even fathom to, to, to bring into my awareness anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of my psyche probably shut them out. But again, I remember violence, I remember fighting, I remember robberies, I remember all these things that come with you know, that, that type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And this is where the gratitude for women comes to play a a huge part of my life. When I reached out to my sister and I said, you know, do you know of anywhere I could go to a methadone clinic for, you know, my sister wasn't stupid. She knew exactly what I was asking. And, you know, she saved me in that moment because she, she went to my mom and they sat me down during winter break, I think it was just around Christmas time of 2009. And they said, if you don't do something about this, like you're going to wind up dead or in prison and we don't want that for you. And, you know, being in that space, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But as fate would have it, I went to school starting, you know, after that winter break to, you know, polish off the, the remainder of my senior year. And there were army recruiters standing outside the door. Mm. So I went up to them and I told them like, here's my shit. <laughs> told them everything. And they're like, okay, well, you know, if you, if you do want to go in, you know, we gotta, we gotta make some changes. And from there, there was, there was no going back. So mm. I ended up signing my, you know, getting sober, signing my contracts um, before I was even 18 with my mom's permission, which she was happy, she was happy to sign to see me wanting to get out of wherever I was at. And month after my 19th birthday, I shipped off in the military and there it was. The army had me then. Wow. Wow. You're such a beautiful soul, brother. I just watching you share the story and, you know, before we were recording, talking about um, because we can put words to pain doesn't mean it's necessarily fully healed, but to hear you put words to all that and speak so um, congruently with that whole story it's really impressive because I know you've done a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Everyone listening, that that is an example of a lot of work. And a lot of humility, which is beautiful. Um, how did, so, did you enjoy the army? Was that something that, you enjoyed? Um, <laughs> so this is where things get even more interesting. Um, I was a shithead. <laughs> I was I was a shithead. I got demoted seven weeks in for disrespecting a senior drill sergeant, and that's how my career started. Wow! And once I went to Korea you know, being 19 and being able to drink and 
do all these these things you know that I shouldn't be able to do because pretty much the law is almost like Mexico there like if you're as tall as a bar like go ahead and have a shot wow um and I got pretty deep into alcohol mm-hmm. um I didn't have any substances so I got you know heavily into alcoholism you know and not the typical alcoholism where you see like binge drinking every day and you know drinking first thing in the morning like movies portray Mm -hmm. it was this type of alcoholism which related back to escapism so any chance that the weekends came and my duty was done and my responsibilities were done you know coming back from conditioning from childhood where hey do all your chores and then you get to relax Mm -hmm. which was every weekend and when i would go into the bar like I just turned into a completely different person. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's where that addict form of me came out. And like, I blew my entire paychecks on it. Like my entire paychecks, everything that I did, everything that I would celebrate, everything that I would do to bring myself happiness revolved around alcohol. Mm. <clears throat> and I drank a lot, a lot. And every single time I felt that like violence come up where I would either instigate something or I'd shoulder check somebody walking down the road Mm. for no reason, just because I was still angry. Mm. And it came to a point on my 19th birthday when, you know, I sued and I I saw two other non-commissioned officers. So I was a, I was a private at the time. Mm. So two other soldiers who were non-commissioned officers, which I didn't know. And I saw them, kind of like manhandling this girl, this woman. And immediately I just got triggered Mm. and I went in and I basically beat the bricks off of both of them. Mm. Um, One guy until he was just laying there, like Mm. just blood coming out of his mouth and just making noises and it scared the shit out of me. So Mm. I ran, Mm. I ran, I went back to base and then I get a knock on my door at 530 AM. Sorry, major wants to see you. And I already knew what it was for. I still reeked of booze and, mm. you know, got in uniform and walked down there and found out the next morning, you know, you put a non-commissioned officer in the hospital last night. Right. And I was like, well, there's my career. Mm. So I ended up getting demoted again with 45 days of extra duty with about three to six months of post restriction. So they won't even let me off. Mm. And the only places they, they told me I could go, were the DFAC or, you know, the chow hall. They told me I could go to church and they told me that I can go to the gym. Mm. And after my parents divorced, I'd pretty much revoked religion and said, well, if, you know, my parents don't love each other and divorce doesn't exist, then I'm not about this anymore. Bye. Cause that was the only thing that held my family together. Mm. And that's where my fitness journey began. That's where I, fell in love with health and wellness and fitness. And because I was on the base for so long, that's all I did. And all my money went from booze to supplements Mm. and from booze to different things or programs that I could do to start my better, start bettering myself. And that's where I believe like my personal development, my healing began Mm. because I learned how to cope with anger in a healthy way. And I learned how to cope with all these things. And after that moment, when I went back to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, that's when everything started going for me because I ended up getting married in Korea while I was on restriction, wow. which was interesting. And that's, that's the mother of my daughter, Natalie, now. Mm. And once I went back to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, things just started going and stayed out of trouble ended up being a stud and finished out my five and a half years honorably with you know what i would say is 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 a good track record Mm. because it gave me a lot of skills and i started to learn how to love it and it wasn't until i was getting medically discharged that i began to dislike it because then i felt exchangeable i felt interchangeable Mm. and that's where like a lot of self-worth came in and it's well you're just going to replace me anyway so why show up anymore And then towards the back end of it, I just started again, just finding any reason to just not be a part of it because the structure, the system of someone telling me what to do every single day, it got really old. 
And that's where I started again, gaining this like entrepreneurial mindset of, okay, well, if this isn't working for me, how, how else can I make this work for me? And that's when I started personal training on the side mm-hmm. and I started learning how to create, you know, multiple streams of income. And I started learning how to navigate these waters, you know, and having to pay spousal support and child support and all these things contributes to wanting to work more because the army doesn't pay anything. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. So that's where it really started designing like my, my hustle mentality. So per se. Now that was really my experience in the military. Amazing. Amazing. I didn't know you could get demoted twice as a private, but what is that? Uh, it's like secret. <laughs> it's not just private. You're now secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they have in the army, they have three levels of privates. So they have like a private, um, they have a private, they, they, they have a, another one, so they have E1, E2, and then they have a private first class, which is E3. Got it. And I went in as an E2 because I had done well on my physical fitness test somehow and got knocked down to one. And then I built my way up to a PFC up to three and then boom, got knocked back down again. Wow. And then went back up. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. For... I think for, this is such an important conversation for people listening. Um, This is a top 10 podcast in spirituality and religion in, um, in Argentina. This is like, this is a random, like Saudi Arabia. People are listening to this all over the world and, and, uh, and everyone can relate to what you just shared. It's not about, um, this is the story of pain. This is a story of trauma. This is a story of wanting to be loved, hating the form of love that was shown because it wasn't love. Even though probably everyone would say, well, I just did my best. And then, I don't know, I'm not trying to project on you, but... (laughs) I would say, I remember telling my dad, if you tell me you did your best one more time, I will fucking choke you out. You utter those words out of your mouth one more time. And I've never talked like that on this podcast, but I just relate to your story so much. And, um, it's interesting, you know, the first time you and I talked um, before today, and I don't know what the difference is, but like you externalized your pain and I internalized my pain, but it's same pain. Um, I didn't hurt, didn't hurt people. I was like scared to even move and you were scared, but you fought the, that off to keep that you know it's still fear still pain and i don't know why i was talking to my mother-in-law who's a therapist and i think i shared this with you but she doesn't know why some people externalize it and some people internalize it but um you know maybe that's when we two brothers can come together and, and understand each other and 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 then heal you know together and this story, this is, it, it really removes a lot of judgment, I think. Because most people, majority of humans, everyone's healing something or avoiding healing something, you know, maybe that's it. And then, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's just such a universal story. So I really appreciate you sharing everything that you just shared and, and having language to it is part of the healing but be like describe if if i asked you this when you were in the army how would you have even responded to me you probably told me fuck off (laughs) (laughs) you probably would have shoulder chucked me (laughs) i'm like oh my gosh i would have been like Get the fuck out of here with that. I'm just going to go pick up my dumbbells. Yeah. Go I'm going to go oh. smoke my cigarettes and drink my, <laughs> drink my natty light. 
Get out of here. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. And that funny, Oh gosh. Man. Oh. This it's it's feel, it feels good to laugh about something like that, you know. Oh. It's such an interesting time too. I don't know when this is going to air, um but you know like I was sharing with you, I have gone I have I feel nauseous even thinking about it right now. It got in the darkest place. I went back to the darkest place I've ever been in the past three days. And um, and, and I'm just sharing that. You said chaos. My word's confusion. Mm. And when I feel confused, it's based off fear. Fear is the first thing. And then it, it goes into confusion and, <clears throat> and self-hatred and, and like truly hating myself. Like I, <clears throat> I have been a skin picker. I never cut myself. I, picked my skin till I bleed a scar. I still have scars all over my, I mean, I'll never not have a beard just cause I have so many scars on my face. Um, and yet it's just interesting like that. It's still pain. It's trying to numb the pain and I hurt myself You and I just hearing you hurt others, but you're still hurting yourself. And I hurt others because I was hurting myself. Is that, it's not that other people escape our pain or we escape our pain. It's just pain creates pain, creates pain, creates pain. And why I hate religion so much, and we talked about this, is because if someone can say, God, oh, Jesus, oh, bless you, they fucking fit into this. And then people that are so disconnected from fucking reality are like, wow, he's really, he's really changed. Or, wow, that's a godly person. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Right. Has he ever owned has, these people, these abusers? <laughs> it's like Joe Biden. I don't care if you voted for him, didn't vote for him. Any, if you have been online anywhere, you've seen him videos of him saying, I will end fracking. Even watching the Democratic candidates on their, in their primaries and the debates, he said that. And then in the debate with Trump, he's like, I never said that. And, and the way these narcissists say it so convincingly, it's weird because I, it's like weird. You, I actually, if I didn't have any context would believe what you just said, but you're utterly fucking lying from your very core. And yet it sounds so convincing and I don't even know where I'm going with this other than the system is coming to an end. I do know that of these people who keep gaslighting us and using words like love or, or unity or whatever, truth, God, uh, love, forgiveness, freedom, liberty, healing, but are the perpetrators of pain. That system is getting exposed to the highest degree. And, and guys like you and I who have gone through this pain, truly because I believe our souls said, okay, I'm going in. <laughs> you know, cover me. You and I probably fist, fist bumped each other. We fist bumped each other before we shot. Time to heal, bros. Let's go. Time to heal, bros. <laughs> oh, let's go. I'll see you. I'll see you in a couple of decades. Let's go. <laughs> Oh man, it's incredible, and that gives me chills. And that that I know is true. Um, and and yet, you know, we have more healing to do. Like you, you shared some of the darkness you just faced, and yesterday I was back in that darkest place. <clears throat> and the thing that was different yesterday that for me is I reached out to my brother. And I didn't want to, I was up in the mountains and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Truly. Um, and I uh, called my brother and, and the first thing I said to him was, I don't want to be 
I don't want to hear anything from you. I don't want to, don't tell me, you know, don't give me advice right now. I'm just, just shut up and listen. And, and I shared and, and it's interesting. And, and then my wife and I reached out to a, a friend last night. We had a coaching call with her and it was incredibly healing and beautiful. And that, that's the difference. I would just say where I am now versus then I would have, you know, I tried to kill myself multiple times, you know, 20 being the most drastic years old. And then, you know, once you're kind of public, you can't really get away with it too much. Or, you know, and if I had not had kids, um, but I want to, I didn't reach out to anyone, you know, in the past. And yesterday I did. And, uh, my brother shared something that I have, I have this image of my dad's body in my mind, probably if not daily, definitely weekly, multiple times a week. And it's really sick and it's disturbing. I've never shared it with anyone except my wife only loosely one time. And I told my brother and yesterday he said, I have the same, he goes, that's weird. I have the same thing. And I was like, what the fuck? And, uh, and then it makes us feel about ourselves a certain way. And then how I feel about myself causes so much shame. But he said, you know, I just realized that I'm me and I'm going to have fun with me and, and enjoy me. And it was a completely different like paradigm. It was like my brain couldn't even fathom, like, conceive of what he uttered even though we both experienced the same whatever fucked up thing it was and after he said that I didn't feel better but I felt like hope or light or something, not even as drastic as those words. Like it was just like somewhere out there, you know, up in the upper stand bleachers, I could see something shimmering versus like the darkness of the stadium. Like it's super dark, but like, wait, what is that way over there? That's different than how I thought. That's different than what I've could think or was even aware of thinking. And, and that's led me to this morning being here with you and, and sharing this and with everyone and, the thing is why I think it's so important that you share your story and, and, you know, you can share some of this is every human has something. Every dude has something every, and for some guys, and I, and I'm not going to minimize this in any way. Some guys just weren't hugged enough that, you know, they might've grown up in a really like, the affluent family with all the degrees and pressures are just as fucked up as the guys got beat and molested. And because all it comes back to is a lack of unconditional love. Like, I don't want to do anything. How about that? (laughs) Actually, I don't want to work anymore. How about that? Will you still love me? Like, how about if I just stopped and I could just take a breather for a second? Am I still worthy you know is this oxygen still free for me <laughs> or do i have to right. keep, do i have to keep paying for the oxygen that i'm breathing <laughs> oh that's a funny concept but it's sometimes that's how it feels like i gotta pay for the breath so yeah <laughs> yeah no i totally i totally resonate with that i mean one thing that you just said was super powerful was you know the people who didn't receive love at all are just as wounded as as the people who were abused yes and it's and it's so true and i mean even in the work that you and i do like we see it all the time like i was just having a conversation and a call with someone last night in fact and she was in a completely different space where it was all about performing and coming from a family system that was designed for, well, we we need to work for everything we have and we need to get things done or else we won't survive. So instilling that is utmost important other than love. And that, that is 
how you receive love is, did you get everything done today? Good. Now you get a pat on the back. Did you do this today? Did you take a breath today? Good job. Thumbs up. Right. You know, and <clears throat> one other thing that you just said was we're, we're, it's, it's, it's a lacking of unconditional love, which is a whole rabbit hole yes. concept as it is, because in almost every single interaction I've had, which you know, regards love, which I've had and held several definitions for at this point in my life. A lot of it has conditions placed upon it, mm. you know, and I truly don't think that unless you're going to be the Ram Dass of the world or anything of that nature, you know, you're, you're going to reach that point because again, we have all these wounds, which then create the expectations and the conditions that are expected in order to give and receive love. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, I had this call with this guy, um, this high school student I spoke, um, and, uh, I spoke to this business school, the marketing club about leaders, uh, share their stories, inspired leaders, share their stories. And they, and they, and a leader is someone that, sh um, shows how to do it, not tells what to do. And, and I, and he reached out to me later and, and we had this conversation and he was talking about the Greek versions of love. There's like Eros, Phileo, Agape. And I said, I said, fuck that. <laughs> Those guys just dissected something that never should have been dissected. When you put parameters on love, you've made it conditional. Love is there and there is no such thing as unconditional love. That's the irony of this whole existence. There's just love and love is always unconditional. We've just been told by an abusive broken system that these, these forms of affirmation to another performing upon someone's preconceived notion of what virtue is, is love. And so we keep living in this performance based existence and it's exhausting and suicide rates higher, especially amongst men, 79% of all suicides up in 2017, which was the last year that I think the data has come out was eight out of 10 suicides are men and suicides have never been higher because guys specifically are performance trying to like, Oh, a hundred thousand's not enough. 150,000. Oh, no, 200,000. Not enough. Oh, a, a million's not enough. Oh, wait, a, what's enough? Nothing. There is no enough because the whole premise is the pat on the back wasn't just for waking up in the morning. It was at the end of the day of what you did, you know, as opposed to like, man, I'm so glad you're awake today. Like have an amazing day. Right. Oh, I never got that. <laughs> I never got that either. <laughs> I never got that. I never but got Jesus, that would be amazing. 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 I, I had this thought yesterday and tell me what you think you, you, I think <clears throat> everyone listening to this is just, I haven't uttered this out loud. This is a thought that I had, but perhaps the most detrimental thought that has, or belief structure that has entered the human plane is that God does not exist. And why that, why that is the most devastating idea is because if we can't go to the source of our hatred, then it gets put on another. You mentioned it before we got on. Yesterday, I was like, God, I, I, love, I love God. I've always loved God. And yet yesterday I was like, hate you like fucking have like put me through the shit like i fucking hate you and as i was saying that i knew he doesn't care <laughs> like it, it, my words are just you know but i like finally said out loud to him as opposed to like i'm angry with you or like i felt so much hatred at myself that i was like you not my dad not my mom not you know, you. And, and then I thought, man, if I can't go to the source of it all and tell the source of it all, I hate the source of it all. Even though I don't hate, it, I love it, but I felt so much hatred. Then I'll always keep blaming 
the non-source of it all, which mm-hmm. ties back to love because we can only, I, I think this, and tell me what you think, and I'm just going to, I think we can only hate what we love. If we don't love something, we're apathetic or indifferent to something. Right. It's like, it doesn't, there's no connection to it, but we hate what we love if that wound is still there. Um, anyway, that's just my thought. What a, what a horrible idea to, it put, to impose into the plane of mankind's consciousness that there is no source of it all. And so you're always going to either check out or blame others. So that was, that was my, I don't know. That was just a, that was just one of your random thoughts. That's just, <laughs> dude, that's heavy. That's, that's a super heavy thought, but it makes total sense, you know, and, and I'm a hundred percent aligned with that. Mm. And, you know, just kind of sharing what we were talking about before we started recording was, you know, I had this experience where I, where I was like, well, if I am God and if I'm creating all of this reality, then therefore I'm creating the pain that I've actually imposed upon myself. So therefore I don't love myself, which means therefore I can't love another person, which are all these parameters and conditions based upon the premise of what is love. Mm -hmm. And coming back to that original statement that you said was so powerful and something that I would also kind of reframe in the language of was that you said that unconditional love doesn't exist because unconditional love is always omnipresently existing, right. you know, whether or not that right. was word for word, right. but it's, it, it. it doesn't exist because it's omnipresent, always existing. But the only thing that exists within that unconditional love are the conditions that humans have imposed upon it to make love work for them. Right. Which comes back to this biggest apology in in efforts of all man is manipulating love for my own selfish agenda, mm. which hits so hard and seeing that the only reason the conditions were there is because I wanted to fit my agenda. But if you look at the human and our existence and our being, of course we have love and hate because the two must coexist for one to exist. Mm. Right. They have to coexist together. You know, that's the beauty that, that that's the, beauty of polarity the polarities and the balancing of those polarities and how they can start to interchange and and, and exchange and intermingle together where at the middle point you see this this place of apathy or you see this place of neutrality Mm. and it's either on one side or the other and that's like the calibration the plus or minus 10 degrees is what i call it and it's like we can even have this neutrality in the positive light or we can have this apathy in the negative light and not feel anything at all Hmm. but it's what we choose to do with it and how again that choice based upon the premise of what is our agenda right and our agendas change every single day you know right. the definition of love i probably held a dozen definitions of love right for all that it is with my now new current definition being that love is love is simply love mm-hmm. and it's not attached to any object person place or thing because the minute it starts attaching itself to things is when you start putting it in a box. Right. And we've seen how different, you know, cultures and organizations, and we see in history how they've put God in a box. That's right. And what has that done? And now we see how we put politics in a box. What has that done? Mm-hmm. Now we put masks and no masks in a box. How, what has that done? It, it causes disconnection. And disconnection is the catalyst to addiction. Disconnection is the catalyst to again that that disconnection from source disconnection from self and what you had said with how the worst thing a human can do is impose that hate upon source itself Mm. whether it be coming back to the conversation of internal external again once you point that hate outwards to source but if you're the creator of all reality and the extension of god itself now it comes back and hits you right. in the fucking face. <laughs> right, right. That I have carried so much hatred of myself. Yes, that's, I, you're right. That's right. 
and then oh, what do we do with fascinating. that? Fascinating. Then we can receive. Then we can finally start loving it. It's yeah, it is fascinating, and it's very formulaic. And um, you just reminded me that I wrote. I've been writing music. The one thing that saved my life is writing songs, and I've been writing music since I was seven years old. And and uh, ironically, the one thing I never got beat for or 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 touched. Um, or even yelled at or screamed at or anything is when I would play music, even if I woke up at like two in the morning, this is one of the things I've talked to. Um, when I play music at any time in the night or morning or whatever, I would just be left alone. I'd write these songs, but I wrote this song probably when I was 19 years old and it was talking to God and it says, why do we put you in a box and pretend you to be the same in our own manner of time is when we call your name. And you made me think of that is like we put God in a box and we pretend that the box is the same as God, even though we put him in the box. <laughs> and then when we want to call him is when we call him in the box. It's so ironic. It's so counterintuitive. We call the God that we put in the box <laughs> instead of going to before we put him in a box. It's just so wild, man. Oh, there's so many layers to this existence. <laughs> Man. It would Brother. be just quantum leaped in like seven different <laughs> astral planes right now. <laughs> this has been a psychedelic experience to say the none to say nonetheless. <laughs> My whole life's been a psychedelic experience. Oh, that's why when I first had psychedelics, I was like, oh yeah, well, this is this is this is normal. Oh yeah, man. dude. I actually wrote um something the other day on that note where mm. I said trauma is its own psychedelic experience. Because I think one word that you know we were talking about that you said that like you dislike is just the integration. Mm -hmm. okay? kind of just brought this random thought where it's like, yeah, trauma is its own psychedelic experience. And how I've actually learned to reframe trauma in more of that like positive light with love attached to it, right? Not saying love should be attached to anything, mm -hmm. but having love for the trauma itself is just like the love for or that I feel of within an experience, a psychedelic experience mm -hmm. where I can love the experience and therefore take whatever lesson that should be learned and then integrated or applied to my life. That's, and knowing that that makes perfect sense to me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And knowing that like, and what I do with like a lot of NLP and neuro linguistics programming work is that even though there was a negative connotation or, or feeling and emotion attached to an experience, what did it provide to you? what were the positives that were provided to you and who, who or how does that make you today? Mm. And without that experience, could you be all that you are today without that experience? And the answer is simply no, mm. is that it had to happen. And the, and the funny thing is, is that it was, it was already planned and it was already done before it had physically happened. Right. And it's just like, all right, here you go. soul, but, what I also heard the other day that was really powerful was that we chose this existence before we came into this body. Right. Right. And, and God picked that strong soul right. and said, sorry, buddy, but mm. you know, you're the one strong enough to do it. So I know you can, right. Here you go. Right. And it, it was fate. It, it was fate. And that's what, makes us the world changers right mm -hmm. the the ones delivering what what some would call prophecies yeah. or yeah. divine messages yeah and carrying right. through all of these things that should be brought into this this plane of existence for humanity right. and that's where it's really powerful i don't know where i was going with that but i know like that was that was a huge like realization that i made I actually wrote that on sunday wow um yeah yeah psychedelic experience it is that <clears throat> brother i love you i love, I love you. you i love you truly thank you 
Thank you, brother. Um, like I said, you're the only other person that this sh ever shared a story and I under like felt not alone. So thank you. You're a real gift to me and the, to this world and to everyone listening and, and the beauty of where you've gotten to so you can share that story congruently and you're only in the mid here you know this is chapter four of a job you got beauty and the runway ahead is just beautiful and so thank you thank you brother i appreciate you mm. appreciate you greatly this is a beautiful experience beautiful conversation beautiful dialogue and Again, this is designed. It's pre-designed. Mm. This, this, I think, I believe this conversation was designed and, and supposed to happen at exactly the right time. You know, in these last few days that you have been experiencing these darkness, and just in the last couple of weeks that I've been experiencing as well, it feels as though we're. Again, we're, we're on this very similar wavelength, I've noticed. Yeah. You know, and this kind of goes back to the conversation we had a few weeks ago and just where we were both at in that place and then where we were both at during that first initial call that, you know, we had been able to connect on. And it's just like, it's, it's, it's almost like our, just our lives are running these like parallel wavelength lines, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful to just see like how, again, correlated and, and, and integrated, I'm going to use the word for purpose sake, mm. how correlated and integrated every human experience is. Right. And this circles back to like the original comment that you had made that everybody in this world is, is really going through something, whether it be big or small, it's, it's, it's there. That is essentially the purpose of our existence is to experience is to go through these things and knowing that all this shit that gets thrown at us in one way, shape or form right, is designed with purpose. And it's just, how, it's just a beautiful representation of, of what we're doing. Um, our, the, fro the computer froze for a sec, right? When Nathan was, was talking, but um, we'll, in the editing, we'll make it, uh, cleaned up but just uh in closing i just want to say thank you for for everything brother and coming on and, and sharing what you did and um how can people connect with you and where can people find you and have you hire them or have them hire you uh to be their coach because i think your your wisdom and strength is such a needed thing right now thank you brother and thank you first and foremost for for having me, for having this conversation and for showing up, man, doing the work and, and being in this battle of life with me. Mm. I truly honor you and appreciate you more than, more than you know, man. Mm. And I am so excited to see what the future brings for us. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you. Yeah. My pleasure, brother. But yeah, people can find me on pretty much virtually almost every social media except for TikTok. I don't like to contribute to China. So <laughs> love it. <laughs> so they can they can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter at Nathan Kohlerman. Uh, they can go check out everything that I do, health and wellness, and different types of you know mindset and different types of approaches to to our overall wellness as, as human beings at www.newintention.com. It's N-E-U intention.com. And then for the men who want to see what I'm doing with other men and, and how I'm bringing my medicine to these spaces to, to help men heal is www.houseofomega.com. And it's H-A-U-S of Omega.com, where we are redefining and revolutionizing masculinity for the modern man. Awesome. Dude, I can't, I'll put all those in the show notes. Um, and I can't wait for this episode to go out brother. And thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's going to be great. Can't wait. My brother, thank you so much for coming on. That was awesome. I love talking with you. Um, 
blessings, the highest blessings to you, brother. And everyone listening, thank you so much. I want to encourage each and every one of you to, to do something courageous. Build up your courage right now. Build up your courage. I had to teach my son um, a lesson, just a neighborhood dispute with some little boys playing in the neighborhood. And I said, come on, we're going to go across the street. We're going to go apologize to the boy across the street. And he was like, no, can we text him? I said, nope, we're walking over. Let's go. And so we walked over and he was scared, but he did it. He apologized. And, and when it was done, I said, I'm so proud of you. That, that took a lot of courage and you were very brave. And he not only learned the lesson, <laughs> but we, we strengthened together his, his courage muscle. And I encourage each and every one of you all to do the same thing right now. Do something that you feel uncomfortable. Pay, pay it forward for someone. Buy someone's meal. Uh, go and buy flowers and hand them out to strangers and just say, hey, I'd love to give this to you. Whatever it is, do something courageous that you feel like uh, nervous to do and step through that. Because in the coming days, in the coming months, we are going to need courageous liberators of souls willing to stand with whatever is presented to us and not get triggered, but stand in love, stand for all humanity to heal. And it's going to take courage. So practice that today. I bless you all. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe, hit the like button and share it out. Brothers and sisters, the light workers are uniting. You feel it. You see it. You are one of them. I bless you. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com.